welcome to the Mental Health Gaming After Hours podcast. I'm Stu, and I'm joined by the man who makes any lockdown a breeze and a delight, and that's Brad. How are you doing, Brad? No, you've got the wrong Brad. Oh? Yeah, you've got oh, really? the wrong Brad. Oh, yeah, I, I'm the one who's cynical and miserable and doesn't let people get a word in edgeways. That's the Brad I am. I don't know what Brad you're thinking of. Oh, I'll give him a call. Hang on. Hang on. <laughs> Brad? Brad? Yeah, mate. Yeah, no, I've got, I've got this other clown on, on the thing. Yeah, all right. Okay, I'll make do. All right, yeah, bye. bye. Yeah, no, he's all right. He's cool. That's, That's the least offensive C word I've been called. <laughs> Which will be relevant yeah. when I speak about what I've been watching. Cool. So, what pop culturally interesting things have you been watching, Bradley? Um, it, yeah, I suppose it is still relevant enough. I've been watching The Boys on Amazon Prime. Cool. Um, wow. I don't know how that originally passed me by because it's really good. Really good. Not, you know, it's not as good. Or I, di- I didn't get into it as much initially as I did Cobra Kai, which I thought was some of the best TV of late um, over the past couple of years. But yeah, The Boys is really good. And for anyone who doesn't know, it centres around the idea, what if superheroes were more human than they are ever depicted to be in movies. Now I know, sort of like in the uh, the MCU, they've tried to humanise a lot of them. They've all got their faults and stuff like that, but they're inherently all still really great guys, and they're good guys and everything. Whereas this goes for the well, what if our superheroes were absolute holes and had the all the foibles that we do as humans, but had the superpowers to go with them. And it takes, it's a really interesting concept behind it where even early on, you know, something bad happens to to, to someone's fiancé from a superhero and he gets off the chance to get revenge because they just try, because like they're a corporation, it's done by a corporation and it's all marketing. So they try and brush it under the carpet with, uh, what was it, $45,000 in compensation or something like that? Ridiculously yeah, small yeah. amount. But yeah. they try and fob him off with compensation as Lossy signs an NDA. And then you get the most realistic... No, he's not. I'm, I'm not even going to pretend. And then you get Cole Urban putting on one of the worst Cockney accents I've ever heard turn up and offer him a way to get to get his vengeance back on the on the superhero who did it and the company behind it all. And it all kind of escalates from there really well, really good stuff. And what I liked about it is that not one single person in this show is good. Yeah. And not one single person in this show is inherently bad. Even the... So the main superhero, um, Homelander, who is, I suppose, the Captain America stroke Superman trope of a, of a superhero he's the leader of the group and everything like that it's implied that he's evil pretty much he's oh he's an evil guy and he's done this he you know he uses his uses his um, position to sort of get women to have sex with him it's implied that he's raped the character he does something quite vile to an airplane full of people um for political benefits and stuff like that but you still get these moments of of humanity within him and you see 
personal pain he's suffering and it's not all just he's doing it for the corporate good or he's doing it there is a personal pain there to him and it's quite subtly done and the hero of the piece i suppose um who starts off as this naive character whose wife whose uh, fiance is taken from him in a tragic way starts off as like he's wide-eyed and innocent but then as as it goes on you can see him turning and you can see that actually morally he's not great and then you've got kind of this shining literally a shining light which i suppose is is really brilliant on the nose writing this shining light of a superhero who again has a crisis of faith and she does quite a few questionable things and again she's not perfect and everyone's written with real great subtlety and it's yeah i just really enjoyed it and even cole urban's disgraceful cockney accent kind of made it It, i i initially watched it and thought jesus christ couldn't they just got someone british if they're gonna go for that you know (laughs) it's really going in the role if you really go or or jason statham whatever but i was actually thinking about going no this works because essentially superheroes are cartoonish they're fantastical regardless of whether you're trying to portray them as good or bad so the over the top cockney accent works um and i found it almost endearing um and i'm gonna you're gonna get your bleep word you're bleeping to out in a bit but the way he casually drops into every other sentence and stuff like that i think is shows he knows what <laughs> how some people talk in the uk especially in the sort of like the london and the southeast area the way we will drab- gradually call people um just like oh that and this and stuff like that and he, he he does it really well and with the over-the-top cockney accent it just works and it's even I, honestly, out. Go on. sorry i was gonna say i just thought he was i thought he was just using that accent and he's just using his own accent until they told us otherwise yeah because it yeah it's hilarious I, sorry I go the, on. Had to make the point of like we've got to get a point we've got to get across that he's definitely british so he does the whole spice girls spit as oh, well yeah. as he's like no, look, see, he is british and when he goes to see his um, his wife's sister in, he goes to see his sister in law, and she offers him, "We've got the English stuff." It's like, right, okay, yeah, we get the point. He's British, um, but it's so it is. It's the accent that I suppose the American audience would expect to a degree. And Cole Urban, I, I actually read, I, I, he's had so unlucky with a lot of the roles he's taken, where it's just bombed. But he's been like generally uh, one of the best things in it, like the Doom film was awful but i actually really liked carl urban in it i thought it was, he was in dread as well um really good in that and he, he's a, such, such a i think he's such a fine actor but he's um yeah he's always got bum roles i'm hoping this one continues to be a success for, for him yeah i was gonna say it's, it's good that you mentioned dread because i was gonna say the boys kind of reminds me of robocop in a way it's not a satirical yeah. Not as overly satirical, like, but it's the same sort of fascist America that's been, you know, that's all about advertising and glitz and stuff like that. And, of course, Robocop stole, not stole, but, you know, was strongly influenced, let's say, by Dread. And Dread was played by Carl Urban. So he clearly likes playing that kind of, in that kind of role on that kind of character. And it really works dead, 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 dead well. And it, it would be a good show without him, but he makes it brilliant, I think. Oh yeah, I, I look for. I, I can't wait for him to be on screen. I, I honestly, and I, I don't think I've heard the word c- 
mentioned more casually as many times as I have in season one of the boys. It's just four or five times an episode and they even called him out on it. I'd love how um, Huey calls him out on it on, a, on an occasion. And he's just, he tries to like downplay it. He goes, talks about how, why do we use it as an insult when this is what they are? And it's just like, why do, why do you use and all the time? And he's like, yeah, it's just, it's so self-aware. It is so self-aware of what it's trying <laughs> to be. And it apes comic book movies really, really well. Yes. And yeah. alongside that, I watched Brightburn a few weeks ago, and this is everything that Brightburn should have been, where it examines superheroes, but what if superheroes had proper flaws, not just like movie flaws, where um, yeah. oh, Tony Stark, yeah, he was a bit of a drunk, but he's a good guy now. Rather than well, Tony Stark, he's got all this money, all this power, all this technology. He's a, an alcoholic that's got lots of demons. What if he actually used that? for bad which is a story i would like to see um whereas this goes well yeah you know what if they do this and a really i don't know if it was on the nose i don't know how i felt about it actually one scene in particular where the deep gets raped was interesting and i'm I'm still not sure how i felt about it because i don't like the turning the tables trope in TV, that oh, he said he, he used his position of power to take advantage of someone sexually. So, what if we turn the tables? Because that no. doesn't shine the right light on it. I agree. Um, I get why they did it, but I, I felt that of all of it, I think that's the one thing that was a real misstep. Him being ostracized and sent to Iaho, you know, because best, you know, sweep what he did under the carpet as best we could and use him as a scapegoat, that's fine. The out of context, one scene, rape. Yeah, that didn't work. And not just because, oh, how dare they reverse it. Because I think it can work if done right. It just wasn't done right. Yeah, I agree. You need character growth. You need to. They need to see the consequences of their actions. Because like a person, if they had that happen to them, would just double down on their bad behaviour anyway. You know, it just, yeah. they would they would think that that sort of thing is permitted and that you you give what you receive type of thing. So yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, yeah. and how does it go from someone who's strong enough, or I don't want to say strong enough, but is forceful enough and believing in himself enough that he can sexually abuse a naive young woman to then just have the tables turned like that. It doesn't happen. They didn't do enough development of why that can happen. I know there's a scene where he's at a petrol garage and someone throws and shouts abuse at him. That's not enough to turn to call someone. Being ostracised and sent somewhere, that's not enough in that time frame. We're moving into a second season, which is great. And I think that scene could well have worked if they'd continued to undermine that character to the point where he is completely broken in season two and then go for that scene where he's taken advantage of. Not that, oh, he he he, he, he took advantage of someone sexually, so he's now going to be raped. That doesn't work. Um, and it's a shame. I'd say it's probably the only major misstep of the entire season for me. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. But as you say, other than that... Yeah, it's really fantastic. And from one fantastic TV show to another, I'm watching The Mandalorian, like a lot of people are, and I think that is absolutely fantastic. And yeah, it, it's just... The, the main reason is, in nothing to do with Star Wars, weirdly enough, the main reason is that, A, it's just really good. 
like the production values are great all the actors are excellent they're, they're perfectly cast for the roles you know they don't even have to be amazing actors they're just you know they're the right people in the right place and they've got the right showrunners um but also the format is is really great so it's like a saturday morning tv show from the 80s so it's really really similar to stuff like the a-team knight rider street hawk airwolf all that kind of stuff where there's a, a very very slim narrative thread that runs through the entire series uh but it's not really important it's just a way of you know transitioning the characters from one space and one situation to the next so like the a-team were constantly on the run from the law although that didn't stop them you know producing these mega vehicles in sheds and making a massive ruckus somehow um so yeah no it's, it's got that great thing of just being mainly episodic with a, a through line that will probably only be wrapped up when they get right to the end and they can be bothered to just go oh yeah there we are neat bow on it and the number of episodes is great. It's eight, and they tend to be around 30 minutes. So it's just the perfect sort of bite-sized sort of uh, adventure series that we don't get a lot of. And even though it's got heavy action and can be dark in places, it's generally quite light as well. It's it's played for fun. Uh, there are stakes, and some of them are high, but it's not like, oh, the entire planet's going to be destroyed level of high. So if... if people haven't touched it before if they're like star wars skeptics or they haven't got disney plus yet or anything like that it's well worth a watch even if you're not a star wars fan because it's just genuinely good tv so how does it work as a as a complete standalone then because i say so i've watched the star wars films i don't think i've really watched like any of the spin-offs like the clone wars or or anything like that uh, i definitely haven't watched what was that Solo, haven't watched that because that just looked dreadful. Anyway, but um, <laughs> do I miss anything by sort of like not getting the law completely? You know, I know Scott Luke Skywalker is Darth Vader, I know Ray's, but I don't know like who the complete backstories of this particular villain or anything like that. So, how, how does it work for someone who's not completely into it? Really well, I would say. Um, you'll get more from it if you know the background and know the ancillary stuff and the legends and the comic uh, the cartoons and stuff but you don't need to know them because what they do is it's got like okay so you've got this story that's like lone wolf and cub you know the 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 japanese samurai story um you know with a with a ronin sort of traversing the land and looking after a child and it's kind of mixed with that and kung fu you know the series where he walks the land and learns things and gets into adventures and all of those sorts of you know lone hero on the move you know work, you know, getting bounties and stuff like that and it then kind of textures star wars over the top but in an, in a really good way so it's not like it kind of goes well we want we want our cake and eat it too you know we want to be able to make it for everybody but also make it for all star wars geeks and then they kind of ham fist it together it's done in a way that you understand everything from context so when they bring in sort of like pit droids that are in the phantom menace when you see them they're just droids but if you've seen the phantom menace and you know them then you're like oh it's pit droid Mm. so it kind of it's just there as kind of a a skin in a way and there are things that are important to star wars quote-unquote law but 
the best of Star Wars has always been very light on lore anyway. It's not really about that. It's more about the characters and about, you know, the, the extreme adventures. So, like Indiana Jones, you don't really know anything about him. You know, all you need to know is that uh, he's a teacher, a professor, and he punches people and gets artifacts. And as long as you know that, then if you know more about him, from the Young Adventures or whatever it's called, or, you know, books or whatever, fair enough. But you don't need to. So that's a long way of saying, yeah, no, it's it works for, for everybody, I would say. <laughs> it's just you talk, talking about Indiana Jones, but if they remade Indiana Jones today, it'd be a controversial film because we'd need to know why the Nazis are mean people. And, you know, we've got to give them a chance to speak because we've got to hear from both sides. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Bloody hope not. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's controversial to punch a Nazi. There you go. Yeah. Off. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's a bit, the Indiana Jones thing brings up a good, a really good argument, uh, probably not for today, about is like a franchise, like in inverted commas again, a franchise. It Can you make one? Can you like ever have something that can just go on perpetually? Or do some things just have the right balance and characteristics uh, of actors and the time period and everything so that they were perfect for that time and you have to just move on and I think that's a re- there's a really good argument in there we should probably pick up well, at some point oh yeah definitely because I, I guarantee you, you could not remake Back to the Future I was thinking Back to the Future yeah could, could yeah. not be done even though it's a time travel feel- like series you couldn't do it you, yes. just physically now you could not do it it wouldn't work because it's not it's so full of holes as a, as a as a film series plot wise, but you don't care because uh, Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd are absolutely outstanding in their roles. So is Crispin Glover as well, and they make it. And yeah, it wouldn't work remade, um, especially as you know. Um, I suppose we suppose best mention that Michael J. Fox has retired now from acting due to his worsening Parkinson's, but he brought so much charisma to that role that it's he is Marty McFly and I would join the masses in burning down Hollywood if they tried to replace him as Marty McFly in a in a reboot. Yeah, um, yeah, agreed. Uh, but talking of films that are sort of like just quickly set in um, or would only work in certain time periods, it's um, looking at sort of like war-based films again and sort of like the modern way of doing them where it's less about the actual war itself and more about the people's individual stories. And I've spoke about Jojo Rabbit before, but my son wanted to watch it as they were shown a clip of it at school um, for history. I think it was to show him like um, the way they dressed or something like that in certain in that period. So I think yeah. it was just an excuse for his teacher to tell everyone about Jojo Rabbit in all fairness. But anyway. <laughs> Good on him. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because, yeah, it's absolutely outstanding. And he watched it and a discussion came up about sort of like when they um, the questions asked in the film, who won the war? And sort of like it led to the question going, who did win the war? Because obviously we're, we're, we're always told we won the war. Like the British won the war. Well, we never. It's, you know, the Allies won the war. But if you look back now, you look at where we are in the world now and you look back and go, did we win the war or did we just delay fascism a little bit? Because, yeah, the Allies, which includes the UK, America, etc., etc., technically won the war but they are very fascist countries now um so whereas you look at germany now 
and it's quite a, it's a peaceful country. They're on the whole, they're still left lead, leaning. I know there is some right wing uprisings in certain areas of Germany and things like that, but it did lead to the question of discussing who won the war, and can you declare the winner outright based on what happened, you know, the end at 1945, or do you have to now look 80 years into the future and go, um, yeah, look at where we are now. So we started raising some interesting discussion points with my son in what is essentially a Taika Waititi comedy-driven, comedy-drama thing, but asks so many interesting questions. Yeah. Um, and also, I still blubbed, even though I knew it was coming, and I've seen it a couple of times, I knew it was coming, I still blubbed as soon as Jojo saw his mother's feet hanging. Yeah. It is still one of the most shocking moments in recent cinema for me. Yeah. No, no, I agree. It's, uh, I, I, I read that, like, I was like, oh, some people say that it's crap. And I was like, hey. So, like, I looked up the review scores and there were loads of, like, critics who were saying that it was superficial and sentimental. And it's like, no. Like, I'm the least sentimental, but, like, I, I can't stand sentimentality. Like, I really, really... It's, for me, it's just saccharine, complete horse you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I steer clear of it as, as much as I possibly can. And whenever I see it, I kind of look at it with a sneer on my face. But I... Uh, no, totally did not get that vibe. I thought it was genuine. Like, it felt properly genuine that yeah. film like all the responses in it were natural and also it was shocking but not done to shock so it was like yes these things in wartime they happen like that they happen instantly and you don't expect them yeah. you know and there that's what made, it wasn't done as shock value it was done because it was to show you that you know yeah wartime is shocking it's just it's it dehumanizing and destructive and you know it's it's random and you know all of the awful things that you don't want in life so yeah i yeah i agree with you i think it has immense power that film i think it's genuinely really important yeah and what what i came from it, i mean one of the arguments of it wasn't a review it was a debate i saw about it I was talking about the um demise of of the mother and it was like, well, you know, you knew the writing was on the wall when the Gestapo turned up and started searching the house. And that then they was helped by Sam Rockwell's character, who I think is the best character in that film, by the way. And if you knew it was going to happen. Oh, look, you know, it was always focusing on her shoe. So you knew something was going to happen with that. And I was my, my point to that is, right, right, one, her being hung absolutely had nothing absolutely nothing to do with her harbouring a Jew girl. Absolutely nothing to do with that, which I thought was a really clever subversion. Yeah. Because it was built up, as, especially with the, I say, with the Gestapo turning up and searching, it was built up in a way that she was going to get caught out for that and that's what was going to do it. But they completely subverted that and it was all to do with the leaflet drops that she was doing. That's why yeah, she was killed. Yeah. Um, yes. And that's why she was hung and displayed. And the... Focusing the shots on the shoes throughout the, the, the film, yes, it was obvious that something was going to happen with those and it probably wasn't going to be pleasant, but it still didn't take away from the shock. It enhanced that shock because as soon as you saw it, it was the same time Jojo noticed it and the way the tonal shift of that film at the exact moment 
was gut-wrenching. And you felt probably exactly the way Jojo felt when he saw them. And it was just like you felt something sick deep within your stomach. And that's what got me there. Yeah. And, you know, the way they build up characters with elements of comedy... But then, sort of like, sort of like, in comedy, you can show so much more nuance than you can in a drama. You know, and I will maintain Schindler's List is one of the best films ever made about you know what what the war was like for, um, especially for for Jews. Um, yeah, a little bit of mm. glamorization, I suppose, but not. But overall, I thought it actually handled it really well. But in saying that, Jojo Rabbit. Taiko Taika Waititi done a brilliant job of using comedy to allow us to feel for those characters in a way where you let your guard down, which you don't ever do in Shinder's List. You never let your guard down in that film. But in Jojo Rabbit, it all happens after you've been laughing at the ridiculousness of the rules that were in Nazi Germany and the, the way you if someone howl Hitler's, you have to howl Hitler back. And you have this, this scene that could have been done in a couple of minutes take three times as long because of all the Hal Hitler in, and which I thought was an absolutely brilliant satire on on what it would have been like, and use that to really lower your guard. Oh, that's quite funny, and then bang, it's got you. Absolutely brilliantly written, and I think the point bizarrely was lost by a lot of professional reviewers, and that's what shocked me. A lot of yeah. professionals completely missed the point of what that film was, and I don't know if it was because it was called Jojo Rabbit. And I don't know what they was expecting, but yeah, it was just really weird that the point was completely missed. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it was by some of them, and uh, yeah, I think it'll be um, it'll be seen as a as a classic as the years go on. A bit like Shawshank, you know. Yeah. Uh, that yeah, that it's po- it's it's popular. It reaches people, uh, but without being patronising, but at the same time not being distant, elitist, or pretentious or whatever at the same time. So yeah, no, it's it's a I don't know if it's a flawless film, but it's a pretty cl- it's pretty close to so, being a flawless film, in my here, opinion. Here's the thing: the best films are not flawless. You, if you made a flawless film, that is not to me a good film. It's a by the numbers, gotta get it perfect film. And you can write those, don't get me wrong, but it needs to have flaws because, again, we as we spoke about with the boys and stuff like that, and the superheroes having the flaws that we all have, we can't relate to perfection. We need flaws to be able to relate. Now, I'm not saying you write an inherently bad film, but when you've got elements where there are flaws, you can relate better. And you've got to look at another example. I think Shaun of the Dead still goes down as one of the best zombie films of all time because it's not a zombie film. It's a character film that's taking place during a zombie outbreak that just so happens to be a comedy. But it's using those elements of comedy which brings about the human elements of that film, which allows you to care about those characters. Um, If they played every single one of those characters straight, would you care about them? Would you care about whether they survived? But the fact that every single one of them is flawed in some way, but also has a lot of good things about them, make you cared about them. And in that humour, because you laugh with them, when something tragic happens, you feel for them. And I, I, that still maintains that. I think that's something that um, Edgar Wright does really, really, really well. Same with, you know, as he done with um, Scott Pilgrim. I think, again, a very flawed film, but conveyed so much more emotion 
than so-called other nylon, like Oscar bait in perfect films because the flaws matter. Yeah, no, I mean, the, what we mean by flawless is open to debate, I think. Yeah. But I, I see what you mean, yeah. No, sorry, that really sounds the... like I was arguing against what you said, but yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's um, the characters are flawed. I, I mean, the film itself hasn't got any any real flaws in the way that it's directed or edited or whatever. But, you know, I agree, I agree about... Uh, Scott Pilgrim's a good example because i'd say that's a very flawed film yeah but one that i really enjoy yeah. so uh, I, I think it's got a lot of trouble with pacing i think it's got trouble with tone uh but it's got enough invention and character work in it that it makes it uh you know exceed itself yeah so that's a, that's a good example of, a, of one that we really like but is not objectively brilliant i suppose yeah yeah uh, we're yeah. not talking the room well, everyone loves that, but everyone knows it's just dreadful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, what else I've been doing is just to you know, hamfistedly segue into another discussion. Uh, I've been listening. Uh, well, I'm mean, always listening to music. It's funny that we don't really talk about it on here, but I've been listening to Wave Shaper, and they're a kind of synth wavy kind of band. So, if you imagine kind of like Tangerine Dream around the time of the early 80s kind of thing and uh, Vangelis doing the Blade Runner soundtrack and stuff like that Synthwave very you know strongly apes that kind of synth music with, with no lyrics uh, absolutely fantastic and it kind of it, it took me down a rabbit hole of listening to loads of synth wavy stuff and techno and there's there's a load of really good bands around at the moment but uh, yeah there's my favourite one probably isn't even them it's probably Perturbator, uh, who are sort of similar. And it's almost like, you know, C64 Sid stuff or, you know, slightly later than that, you know, Super NES stuff. But just really brilliant, fantastic sounds. It's hard to describe, but I I would strongly recommend giving them a listen. And that they kind of sent me back towards Orbital, who I've always been a fan of, and uh, listening to loads of that in the background. And all of these are good for... I'm studying at the moment and they're great for study because there's no lyrics so it's just you know ambient sounds in the background yeah. and uh, yeah so three fantastic bands there so they're uh, Wave Shaper Perturbator and uh, Orbital I highly recommend giving a listen to I've heard of one of them <laughs> it's all Orbital I've heard of them I haven't heard of the others but I'll check them out yeah do it and um, Orbital's uh, most recent album is only 2018 they only release an album like once every eight years or something and uh, it's well worth a go but um, yeah no dip into all of them they might, you might go down a rabbit hole especially when you if you if you like like what people call retro games stuff from the 80s then you're going to like those sorts of you know, bits of music yeah no, I'll, I'll give it a go I'm not I'm not a a music buff by any stretch of the imagination. I don't, I don't know what any of the modern stuff is. Um, like, I say modern stuff, the popular stuff. I mainly listen to Jenny Lewis or Milo Kylie, who have Jenny Lewis because I just love her music. But that's about as far as it goes for me because, yeah, music's a weird one for me. I love music, but I don't know enough of it. Yeah. In terms of I couldn't tell you who done what or anything. I just listen to, to it. And as I say, the only one I really care about, and I've made sure I've got everything, is Jenny Lewis. Yeah, 
It's funny, isn't it? Because like the the older you get, the more effort you have to put into listening to it. Because like when you're young, which is when you really get into music, you've got vast swathes of time where you've got bugger all to do. You know, yeah. you got yeah, you got to walk, walk to school, get the bus. You've got like coming home and doing your homework. You got going out with your mates or walking over to where they are. You got all these like vast spaces of time that you just don't have as an adult, and so you have to like really set it aside. Um, so just to sound, do my sounding like an old fart section for the week, uh, but but it's definitely true. Mm. But you get older as well, and then you start to realise certain songs how dark they are as well. For whatever reason, we put on Barbie Girl for for my daughter to listen to because she started to get into dolls a little bit, and we put on Barbie Girl. And when I was younger, you'd think, oh, it's just a a fun cheesy song. But if you listen to the lyrics on that, pretty damn dark yeah uh, it's mm. like same with dr jones as well i actually listened to a couple more of the acra songs and it's just like oh okay yeah that's pretty dark uh, but i also realized looking back i actually really really enjoyed and i still enjoy like britney spears early stuff there's like say what you want about uh, i suppose there's a a character we could talk about on the actual main podcast one day is, is what the tragic happening, what tragically happened to Britney Spears and the way her mental health was used against her. Yeah, um, yeah. But in terms of absolute talent of being able to actually produce music, and I know she wrote quite a lot of her own stuff as well, and her performing, if it wasn't for what happened to her, I still think she'd been one, still be now the biggest star on the planet. Yeah. Because you actually listen to her voice, and you listen to even like the early breakout stuff, such as though like, you hit me, baby, one more time, and toxic and, and stuff. It's really good music. Yeah. Um, and it's like the sort of stuff when I was younger, I'd go, no, I didn't listen to that. I don't like Britney. What? No. And this is like, yeah, it's actually really good. Yeah, it's really funny how you can you can see these things in retrospect, and uh, some of it, I, I would say, a lot of it is because you kind of go, oh yeah, that's um that's them playing a character because yeah. it's very important in pop particularly to to have a character that you you know that you embody and that you you know that informs the lyrics and stuff like that but like there's the stuff with you know the smiths and morrissey and like all the like all of his songs are kind of well particularly the early ones all of his songs are kind of like characters it's like oh yeah. well, you know here's this uh, young straight guy who's trying to get with women so that's obviously not him personally and you know all the scenarios and situations and then when racist stuff was said in passing then it'd be like okay right that's part of that character um and he's talking about how bad that is he's you know it's just a a poor character in in the play in the novel of his life but actually it turns out that that was him rather than the character yeah And, and another big one um that's you know comparatively recent is uh, Soundgarden and Chris Cornell. Like all of Soundgarden's songs are kind of like they're very sort of power chordy. They're very heavy. Um, they you know they were lumped in with grunge, but they're actually a metal band. And I used to really love them and still well, still do. But the character was all it was like a character of doomy metal and those sort of like dark edges about being in hell and being in a in you know a. a, a hellscape of a kind of a life uh, and obviously you know thought that was just a kind of black sabbathy thing of you know that's theater but then you know it turns out chris cornell was uh you know depre- depressed for his entire life and eventually committed suicide so um yeah so it is weird to look back in retrospect and go oh god yeah no, it was all there it wasn't theater that was actually their lives 
yeah, no, definitely. And it's, it's, you do get that new appreciation and you kind of, but then, <laughs> I don't know if this is the old fart part where you, you do hear modern songs and it, you just look at it and just go, Jesus Christ, it's just turgid. Back in my day, it used to mean something when they sung. But again, <laughs> I know that my mum would probably have listened to, to that that era that I was growing up listening to going, oh, back in my day, in like the 60s and 70s, it actually meant something, the music. So are we going to have like the kids of today in about 30 years' time looking back and going, oh, that Carly B song, at least that meant something. Yeah. I'm assuming Carly B is one of the modern ones. I don't know. <laughs> it's just a name yeah. I heard a few weeks ago, so I'm assuming she's modern. Yeah, I do that. I throw out the odd name now and again so people think I'm still relevant. Yeah. <laughs> Only has partial success. But um, no, you're right, because I think that I've heard anecdotally that the kids, the kids today, uh, <laughs> go on about 80s and 90s music loads uh, as like, you know, the pinnacle and being brilliant, which I find odd because they should be embracing their own stuff. But, but I think the music the is out there. Yeah, the 70s, like listening back to what was in the 70s and going, kind of, oh, wow, that was actually some really great stuff. I wish I could listen to that live at the time. So I suppose, yeah, it's, it's kind of, yeah, I get why kids might look back at the 90s and stuff like that and see that as great. There's always, the, uh, every time, every era, there's a kind of 30 years ago thing where it feels just about out of touch enough for it to be cool again. Because yeah. in the mid-80s, there was that huge 50s revival. I don't know if you were young enough to, to remember that. But yeah, when I was growing up, um, there was a huge 50s revival. And, yeah, uh, yeah. everything became popular again, didn't it? And what did, sorry? Jive Bunny and things like that as well. Yeah, that was kind of off the back of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah but um, stuff like "Stand by Me" got, yes. uh, got in the charts, and because when the film came out, so the, it always happens. There's always this looking back, but I, music is great. Uh, you know, it's no better or worse than it was. Now it's good, but the problem is that the access to it, there's there's so much of it. There's so much, and the stuff that ends up being charted isn't necessarily reflective of people's tastes it's just kind of the, the most middle of the road so the the pop scene isn't kind of like the thing the thing is like what you find and you talk about on your youtube channel or your twitch you know it's like what you've discovered and you have a group coalesce around that and it doesn't become um a big thing out in the wider world and you'll you'll hear eventually yeah you know, it's sometimes about like carly b or whatever you know names like that and taylor swift but by and large mm, it's kind of it's it's much more niche it's not as mainstream music at the moment yeah, and I think there's a, probably a lot more, I suppose, um, you see a lot of bands now where it's not about making money or being super popular. It's like one of the bands I really love listening to, and it's, to be fair, it's someone I know anyway, but it's a band called the Ragamuffins. They're based in the Northwest, and they're an, they're an indie an indie pop band, but not quite pop music, I suppose. But they write some really good stuff. And, you know, David Jaggs, who, who's generally, he's been around in that band since day one, despite some other members being in and out. Um, has an absolutely amazing voice and he writes all his own stuff and it's absolutely brilliant. But they've never made it big. Yet when you hear some of the stuff that goes big, you're just kind of like, how? And I suppose, so for me, I don't know how Jenny Lewis isn't more popular and stuff like that. But he's, I suppose, but that's music. It is, and I think it's allowed to be more personal than it used to be anyway. Um, but from the takeaway yeah. from that is check out the Ragamuffins. They're really good. Cool. Yeah. And I would say, yeah, definitely check out. Um, start with 
start with Wave Shaper. They're a bit softer than Perturbator. But yeah, have a listen to Wave Shaper, see what you think. Those are probably very two different <laughs> bands to listen to. But yeah, go for it. There you go. So watch some Star Wars. I yeah, I would say I would you, say the Mandalorian is about as every man as you can as you can get as long as you like action adventure. So do it. The boys probably a little bit more niche <laughs> and well, for over eighteens only. Yeah, and refer to every other person you meet as a. C- I do anyway. Yeah. Now what you need to do is you need to refer to every other person you meet as a. C- <laughs> It's really funny when you do that accent because it just sounds like you, but a little bit more gruff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, I can't see. I'm that. I'm that. I'm that southern. I can't actually do a southern accent. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do any more of a southern accent. No, <laughs> you went slightly across towards the the you know estuary. Well, you didn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah that's good. Oh, okay. you've got you've got to do a lot of editing of this one now because there's a lot of swearing. <laughs> oh yeah, well, if you hadn't been such a c- then it wouldn't have come up. Yeah, there you but, go. <laughs> Don't let your kids listen to this one. We should probably put that warning at the start. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to put a heavy spoilers warning up, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, I'll do that as well. Yeah. So, there we go. That was the podcast. So, as usual, thanks for listening. Thanks for being a Patreon. And hopefully, you'll be hearing this as a free extra so that we can get the word out there that this is going so hopefully you didn't think we were chatting complete garbage for half an hour plus we probably were we'll accept that but you know feedback tell us what you thought and as usual follow us on twitter on discord if you want to join the chat there we have lots of youtube content go and look at it and also take care of yourself stay safe and enjoy your lockdown and bugger off you c- <laughs>